Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of Welcome love. to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. Susan Swan, welcome to the program. How are you today? Good. Thanks, Bill. How are you? Good, good. Glad to have you on. Uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to spend with us. You're an interesting person. I know you've written a book called Coming Home, A Mormon's Return to Faith, and we'd like to spend uh, some time talking about that. But maybe before we get into some questions and some thoughts from you, if you wouldn't mind just uh, maybe briefly describing who you are so that my listeners get a feel for you. Sure. So I am actually a, a mother and a grandmother. Um, I left the church in about 1995. I was gone for about 15 years before I came back. I'm in, uh, currently working in uh, the testing industry. I have a master's degree in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University. I have two children and two grandchildren. So awesome. there you go. Well, glad to hear that. Let's begin by you sharing a little bit about your growing up in the church. What was it like uh, for your childhood or your, your teenage years as a, as a member of the church? Sure. So I grew up in a little town in southeastern Idaho. Um, my family was all very active in the church. We had My family went back to the pioneer days on both sides of the family. Had a grandmother and grandfather who lived a few blocks away, and, and so I... Grew up with, uh, and it was a small town, um, heavily Mormon population. Grew up with a lot of faith-building experiences and had, had family that was dedicated to the church all the way back. Gotcha. I know that in our preparation for this interview, you had mentioned that your your father was not only an attorney, but was also the bishop of your ward. What was that like? I mean, did that? how did that shape your experience, or how did that add... Uh, to the way in which you saw the church or, um, I don't know, I guess as having served as a bishop, I know my children have certainly different experiences than other kids in our ward had. And maybe you could share how that impacted you. Sure. And I think, I think you have, you have a good point there. It is different growing up as a, as a, you know, 
I've got three younger brothers, and, and you know, our dad was the bishop in the ward, and so I think it puts a little bit extra onus on you to, to make sure you're kind of meeting expectations and doing what you need to do and, and being an example what, with what you're supposed to do. So I think we all worked really hard to do that. We were all involved in, in you know, young men's and young women's and, and involved in our seminary classes. And so, so yeah, but you're right. It does put a little extra expectation on you to make sure you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Did you feel like that was a burden at all? I think it, I think sometimes I think sometimes we all felt a little bit like that. Um, <clears throat> we were supposed to be an example, and, and sometimes it may be a, a may have been a bit of a burden. I think we I think we wanted to make sure we didn't disappoint our dad, and and so I think we all did the best that we could to make sure we didn't do that. Sure. How far back does the church go in your in your family? Uh, it actually goes back all the way on on most on both sides to, to Joseph Smith. Um, I had a, a great grandfather Horton Haight that crossed the plains um, and brought about 18 wagon loads across with him. So he did that, and then I've got um, on the other side of the family I've got Hatch and other relatives that came across in some of the first handcart companies. So we definitely go all the way back. How did that pioneer heritage impact you, or how did it? Uh, how did having those examples that people in your family would obviously make you aware of? How did that impact maybe the expectations that were on you or how you saw the expectations that were on you? Well, I think I think we grew up with a legacy of faith. I think we understood that. My grandmother used to spend a lot of time telling us pioneer stories. Genealogy was a big thing for her, so we did spend a lot of time doing genealogy. I think she talked to us about our legacy. Um, my grandfather, Hatch, was a state president in the area, and um, my great-grandfather, Nielsen, was a... a I mean, a great grandfather hate was a state president in the in in the Oakley area. So there was definitely a legacy of faith. I think we knew what what was important, and I think I think we had a I think faith was important to us. And it wasn't just it wasn't just the structure of the church that was important to us. It was the fact that that faith was an important tenet in our home and in the way we conducted our lives. I would like now to maybe spend a, a little bit for you to explain to us how you you lost your faith. I know your book. Uh, coming home, a Mormon's return to faith. Spend some time, obviously, talking about how your faith was lost, and wondered maybe if you could run us through uh, what happened and and what it felt like, and and some of those experiences that happened while you were away. Sure, I'll talk a little bit about that. The 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 focus of the book was supposed to be more on what brought me back, and you know some of the people and events that were more important in in in, in making my return. But we talked just a little bit about about what took me out. So. I'd been very active all my life. Um, I was married in the temple. I was had served recently as a Relief Society president before I left. Um, there were a lot of things going on in my life. We had moved to a new area. We were having some very serious financial pressures. Um, my marriage was not doing well. And so I think I was at a very vulnerable place. Um, I think it's difficult to be at a vulnerable place. I think that's something we need to watch out for when we're in vulnerable positions to think about how that, what kind of an impact that's having. So in addition to those things going on, um, and I started looking for support elsewhere, and that's where things really started falling apart, because um, I was looking for additional emotional support that I wasn't getting in within the confines of my marriage. And I think I think when those kinds of things start happening, it's very easy to start maybe rationalizing what you're doing and start looking for reasons why you might want to leave your faith. Um, and so certainly that doesn't happen for everybody, but it did for me, and I think it happens for some folks, um, that if you start moving off the path, sometimes the moving off the path comes before the questioning of the faith. 
Um, and then, so after the moving off the path begins, then you start wondering, well, maybe this isn't really true, and you look for justification. So not true in every case, probably more true in mine. Gotcha. How did, uh, I mean, how did things conclude? I mean, I mean, obviously you, you said you weren't inactive for, was it 15 years? Right, so I actually ended up, um, yeah, ended up in, in the middle of a divorce, um, and took my children with me and, and divorced, and then I was inactive for 15 years. So worked to rebuild my life and, and our financial situation and, and very difficult for my children because uh, this was a big change for them. Um, so they both are, are interested in the church again. My son has come back, and he is married in the temple, and they have a new baby, and my daughter and granddaughter are also doing things in the church as well. But it was a very difficult time for them because it was such a change. Uh, it was right. very hard because they grew up believing, and I grew up encouraging them to believe, and then I stopped. So, sure. In those fifteen years away from the church, I just want I want listeners who perhaps have never had a struggle of faith, or who have never even contemplated leaving the church for whatever reason, that being out of the church fifteen years, were there times where you thought about the gospel and wanting to get back in, or had you had you pretty sharply separated yourself from the church and and spent that 15 years really not focused on it? You know, I, my family all remained active. My three brothers, their wives, um, my mom, um, and my dad had died by that time, but, but all my nieces and nephews, everybody was active in the church except for me. So I spent a lot of time with my family. I've always been very close to my family. They, they still embraced me. They still made sure they spent time with me. They still encouraged me, um, and I knew they loved me in and out of the church. So that was an important thing for me. Um, I actually stopped believing in God altogether, and so I didn't think much about coming back. I, I respected the belief of the Mormon Church the way I would have respected anybody else's belief, but I, I didn't really think much about coming back because I really wasn't a believer, not only just in the church but in God as well. What you say rings for a lot of people who leave, which is once they lose faith in in Mormonism, it's a slippery slope, and a lot of them will lose faith in God altogether. And to spend 15 years out is a long enough time to have essentially paved a new way for yourself. What what starts to trigger these these emotions and experiences and things that lead you to begin to start thinking about the church again? Well, I suppose it was you know always in the background at some point in time. Um, I did move. I made another move after my children were grown. And moved to Northern California. And while I was there, uh, it was a change. It was a chance to be out of a situation I'd been in for a long time. Um, and again, caused some, you know, disruption in what I was thinking, and maybe a, a better disruption this time in what I was thinking. Um, my home teachers found me again. I had some really fabulous home teachers. It was a couple, and they came to see me a lot. And they were very kind. They listened a lot. I made a connection with them. There was also an empty nesters group in my ward, and they invited me to come and spend time with them. And so that was fun. I enjoyed being with them just on a, on a social basis, but they would always have a lesson, and so and I wanted to participate. I started thinking about things I hadn't thought about in years. Um, I started having some associations I hadn't thought about in years. Those were some of the things. We would have a lesson every week. I hadn't really counted on that, but we did. And it put me back in touch with some things that I hadn't thought about in a long time. They were not at all judgmental. They were not at all, um, they were very welcoming and very kind. And, and so we started establishing some, some connections there. They wanted to know a little bit more about me as I started talking to them. Um, they, were, they were just very open. And, and so that helped. I could start to feel a little bit more connection 
there. I still didn't have any intention of going back at that time until I had an experience I hadn't anticipated around General Conference in April of 2009. So maybe kind of wrapping up with your journey, and then I want to ask you a few questions about the book. But So you had this, you said, an experience in General Conference. I, I don't want you to share sacred things, but if maybe there's a little bit of a just a storyline maybe you could share on on that experience or or what it meant to you? Sure, absolutely. And in it's it's in the book, so I, I'm happy to share that. I I had made an atypical decision to watch conference in April of 2009. I typically didn't do that. I knew my whole family was there watching it, and, and I also had a niece and um, her husband who had moved to the area to go to law school, and I'd been spending a lot of time with them, and I knew they were there watching conference with the rest of my family. So I, I made an atypical decision to just turn on the TV and see what I thought. Um, and as I watched conference, I had an experience I hadn't had for a while, and that was nothing that people said bothered me. So typically, I would hear doctrine in the church, and I would think, oh, I don't like that, or that makes no sense to me. But everything I was hearing was fine. I liked what I was hearing, and, and so that was an unusual experience for me. Uh, I turned it off and left, and, and then went to, a, to lunch with a friend of mine, and then we went over to a movie, and, and my phone rang while I was sitting there, and I picked it up and looked at it and, and realized it was one of my brothers who had called, and, and when I listened to the message, he had asked me to watch conference that afternoon. And before I picked up the phone, I knew exactly that he was calling to ask me to watch conference. I wasn't able to do that because I was in a movie, but then on my way home, I had some very strong impressions come to me, very strong impressions that um, told me that I it was time for me to go back to the church, that my family needed me at that point, moment in time, which was a big shocking thing for me. I don't think I'd had any kind of a spiritual experience for 15 years. So, But I, it hadn't been so long that I couldn't recognize it. Um, and so that was the beginning of trying to find my way back. Um, it, was a very, it was a very shaking experience for me um, because for somebody who didn't believe in God to have a spiritual experience was an interesting thing, but it wasn't something that I could deny. So I I went home and watched conference the next day, and, and things went from there. I just my, my spiritual eyes opened, and that's the only way I know how to describe it. Um, things started coming back to me very rapidly, and I, I renewed my activity in the church, and, and, and that's, the, that's where it started. That's, that's a beautiful story, and I, I really appreciate some of the things you share, which, which as I've talked to several people who have left the church and returned or have lost their faith and returned, there's there's a lot of common elements. One is that family and friends are are supportive and helpful, and rather than being judgmental and pushy. And it sounds like your family was very uh, empathetic and and quick to to help, rather than to to be judgmental. Absolutely, and and I think you're right, Bill. I think that talking to other people I've talked to as well, that's a very common theme. I think families need to make sure they're reaching out to their to their loved ones that are less active and so that they know that they're loved and they're still part of the family. How long did it take you to write your book? It took me about a year to write my book. Um, and I actually had no intention of writing a book. Uh, I have a, a very good friend who was actually instrumental in my journey back to the church once I started back, and, and she's actually Jewish. And um, she used to invite me to her home for Passover. And once I started back, she said, I think you need to write about your experience. And she happens to be an editor with some New York publishing houses, so she said, I'm going to help you, and she believed in the project, and that's how it all got started. So it was a surprise to me. Once you finally did decide to to make, to put these thoughts down on paper and make them into a book, was was there an intended audience for this book? I mean, my first thought would be those who have left to reconsider rejoining, but 
But I bet there's more to it than just that. I mean, is there others that you're trying to reach out to? I think so. You know, I mean, that would be the hoped for audience. I would, I would hope that people who had, who, who had left or, or might wonder if they might want to come back, those would be the people I would hope to reach out to. I have heard from some people that, that, you know, decided they wanted to come back and it was helpful for them. But really, I think, you know, people who are out may not be as inclined to pick something up like that unless they know they want to start coming back. So I think it could be helpful for people who are coming back. But I'm hope I was hoping really to reach families and and of of inactive of, of inactive people and reach you know members of the church. I I talked about home teachers that were so instrumental, not just in the people that that helped me at the end, but people that were with me all the way through the journey that helped me in the beginning and and you know bishops and and other people that were important in my journey. And so so I was hoping that that people that had inactive family members, you know, might read through it and, and get some sense about how inactive people might feel and what they might do to help support them in, in an eventual journey home. That is great. You know, President Hinckley talked about what every member needs, which is a, a calling, a friend in the nourishing of the good word of God. And, and it, whether we're talking about somebody who's less active or somebody who's left the church completely, if there's any hope of bringing them back, it can't just be a spiritual experience. It has to it has to involve those other things too, where people have a chance to serve and where they have somebody to fellowship them. And it sounds like in your journey, you were provided each of those three things. Yeah, I, I absolutely was, and and I think it's important for people to realize they shouldn't give up. So I had a, a home teacher that that was with me right in the beginning of the divorce, who who remained a good friend of mine for a long time, and he was thrilled when I came back. And and obviously, a lot of the seeds he planted made a big difference, but it took years before he saw the fruits of of his working with me. So so I just think a lot of times we don't know how much impact we're having, even though we're having a lot of impact. Right, the whole idea of never giving up. And, and hopefully people who listen to this, who have a family member who's lost faith or a friend or a member of their ward, that they'll take that to heart and, and really consider that perhaps it will take years of just simply loving the other person and being there for them uh, before the kind of turnaround you had to at least hope that that turnaround could happen with them. Um, for those who are struggling, a lot of my listeners are made up of, of people who have doubts, who are either thinking about leaving the church or perhaps have already left. Do you have any advice you might have for them? You know, I and I'm going to just borrow something from President Uchtdorf at the last general conference session when he said, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. So, you know, it's easy to have doubts, um, but but. It's always good to call that into question. Sometimes people read something and they don't know what the source is and, or they read it and they take it as gospel and it may not be. And so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good reasons to stay with your community of faith, a lot of good reasons to stay with faith. It, it can make a big difference in your life and the life of your family. So that would be my, my suggestion uh, to borrow a chapter from President Ukewerp is doubt your doubts first. Make sure you're really sure about your doubts and that you're looking in the right places. You know, don't go to places... That, that are built to tear down faith. If you have doubts, go to your bishop, go to your you know branch president or, or go to your stake president and ask them the questions. Right. I appreciate that. Talking about Elder Uchtdorf, his talk in, in some ways was really monumental for the church. And being one who had left and had come back, any of thoughts from you kind of on the other end of that spectrum of, in listening to his talk? Well, one of the things that, that I love about President Uchtdorf, actually, his talk was one of the things that was instrumental in bringing me back in that, in that April conference, session of conference. He talked about the way of the disciple. 
um, and that was in, in 2009, and he said, he said, get off the sidelines um, and get back in the game. And he said, start from where you are. And I think that's an important thing. If you're, if you're wondering or thinking, might you be interested, start from where you are. Don't think, oh, my gosh, look how far I have to go or this is going to be impossible. Just begin at the beginning and, and take it one step at a time. Excellent. Susan Swan is our guest today. She is the author of Coming Home, A Mormon's Return to Faith. Susan, where can people find your book? Um, it's available at Deseret Book. It's available at Siegel Book. It's um, mostly online in those cases. It's also available at Amazon. Um, so there are a number of places you can pick it up. It's also available on the Kindle um, and at Barnes & Noble. That's incredible. Um, at what point were you approached by Deseret Book to place it in their stores? Well, that's an interesting story. Actually, I had wanted to publish it with them in the first place, and it wasn't something they were interested in the time. And so I published it and then went back to them, and they agreed to carry it. So um, they started carrying it probably, oh, I don't know, 10 or 11 months ago. Well, I appreciate having you on today and and can certainly uh, sympathize or empathize with, with your journey. Uh, my podcast is one that was started because I wanted to help people who struggled with their faith and, and having had doubts myself. I'm grateful you came on today. I hope listeners will check out your book. Uh, again, we've uh, spent time today with Susan Swan. Uh, author of the book Coming Home, A Mormon's Return to Faith. I will list uh, at where this episode is published. I'll list the places where you can find her book. Susan, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you, Bill. Much appreciated. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming My Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of to rescue me from danger interposed his precious precious blood oh that day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face clothed then in blood-washed linen How I'll sing Thy sovereign grace Come my Lord No longer tarry Take my ransom soul away Send Thine angels Now to carry Me to realms Of endless day Oh, 
Seal it for thy courts above. 